there is a trend that tends to uh, take place uh, in on Facebook over the last couple of years, and the trend is we want to be thankful in the month of November. Uh, and so what they tend to do is they tend to go, and, and every day of the month of November, they'll figure out one reason why they are thankful. And so they'll go on Facebook, and they'll say day one uh, on November 1st, and say, I am thankful for whatever, whatever it is that they're thankful for. And so the only problem is they have to come up with 30 different things on 30 different days, and sometimes that can be hard, right? Uh, I actually have one uh, friend that she doesn't do what she's thankful for. She does what she's not thankful for, all right? And so she's kind of contrary in that way. And so on Tuesday this last week, she said, I'm not thankful for elections. And uh, many of us can say amen to that, right? Uh, it's not necessarily the elections. We like to, to, to exercise that right, uh, but it's the arguments and the complaining and everything that goes along with it. Uh, and so that's uh, one of her ways of, of being funny, I think. Uh, oftentimes, I think when we have to stop for and think about what we're actually thankful for, uh, we, uh, it can be difficult. Right? I, I think we can oftentimes go through life not even thinking about all these things that we are thankful for, and then to actually have to place them into words, uh, it can be hard. And, and I know that in my life, there's times that I'm thankful for things and, and I can't find the words or I, I don't say them soon enough and the things I'm thankful for are gone. Uh, my wife's family has a tradition. I'm sure many of you guys have the same tradition where you sit around uh, the Thanksgiving table and you go around and you say, hey, here's one reason why I'm thankful for. And, and inevitably, the first person to go has the easiest job, right? Because when you're at Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? Family. I was going to say family more than food, but you know, <laughs> we know where some priorities are. So, no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, so family. And so that first person gets to say, I'm thankful for family. And everyone else goes, man, that's what I was going to say. So uh, it can be hard sometimes to be uh, thankful, or at least to express those things. Uh, what I want to kind of do over the next couple of weeks is just look at uh, a couple of psalms that talk about th- being thanks- thankful. Uh, Poetry, uh, the book of Psalms is a book of poetry, and poetry, I think, uh, does really well in expressing emotions. Uh, we have The reason why we even have poetry is so that we can express what we're feeling on the inside. Uh, and, and I think when it comes to Thanksgiving, that is how we express it the best, is when we can uh, spout poetry, right? All right? That doesn't sound exciting for some people, but, but that is the best way to write uh, emotional things. And so uh, we want to kind of look at these things and see uh, these psalms and see what they have to say of reasons why we should be thankful uh, all year long, not just uh, during this time of the year. And so we're going to be in Psalm number 100 today. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Psalms. Uh, that is actually really easy to find because you can usually go about middle of your Bible, flip it open, and you're probably right there or really close to it. Uh, I had a Bible one time that had a bunch of extra stuff in the end, uh, and that didn't work. <laughs> but most of the times, it does work uh, on, on a typical Bible. All right. Uh, the book of Psalms is a bunch of different 
poetry songs, psalms is what we call them, uh, and they are usually written by different people. Uh, and so when we look at the book of Psalms, it's not a cohesive thing. Each psalm is usually about something different. But uh, with that said, there is usually a collection of psalms together that when read, uh, you kind of get a, a sense of what uh, the uh, the compiler of this book of Psalms was trying to do. And so uh, when we look at Psalm 100, we see that it's actually a group of about seven psalms, starting in Psalm 95, uh, that uh, talk about the Messiah. The Jews typically applied it to the Messianic era. All right? And so when we're reading this psalm, we have to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, there a lot of psalms, they have titles. Uh, the titles, title is, is right before verse 1. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's actually verse 1, but, but that's besides the point. Uh, this one uh, has the title in my version of a psalm for giving grateful praise. The older versions, uh, older translations said a psalm of thanksgiving. And it is the only psalm in the entirety of the book of Psalms that has this title. And so I think it's appropriate as the only, book, only psalm to have the psalm of thanksgiving title uh, that we should look at it, okay? And so we want to look at this verse by verse, and then we're going to try to read it in its entirety once we get done with that. The verse first says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. All right, so uh, this, this word that opens up with shout for joy uh, it is something that I think we cannot overpass because of its significance. All right, when we talk about shouting for joy, uh, at its very base meaning, it, it just means lifting up your voice or using an instrument. Uh, this past year at VBS, one of our directors uh, decided that the coolest way to uh, tell the kids when to move from one station to the next was to use a chauffeur, okay? So this is this ram's horn that's curved. We've all seen it depicted at some point in time, and you blew it like a trumpet. And so she would go out on the lawn, and she would blow it, and sometimes they heard it, and sometimes they didn't. But one of the funniest things for me was to watch the kids take up this uh, ram's horn and try to blow it themselves, okay, because it didn't always work, all right? It takes skill to do those things, all right? And so this is kind of what this word is talking about. It is talking about raising your voice or raising up instruments for joy. Now, that's not what makes this word, I think, interesting in and of itself. It's the way it's used throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, this word is used primarily in two different ways. It's used usually uh, in the rituals that were found at the tabernacle and at the temple. And it's a word that, that as the Israelites are coming into the temple, they're supposed to do. And so when we read this word, and it's the beginning of this psalm, we should automatically be thinking in our heads about uh, the worship of God. All right? Shout to the Lord. Worship Him. All right? Worship the Lord, all the earth. All right, uh, we see this uh, played out in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And in that chapter, uh, King David has decided that he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenants to Jerusalem where his, where his uh, government was reigning. And so he goes and he gets in and he's bringing it into the temple, into the Jerusalem. And as they're coming up the mountain through the city streets, we are told that the people begin to shout this word here. And as this ark is being brought before them, they are praising God by raising their voices. Another way that this word is used is described in 1 Samuel chapter 10. The uh, Israelites had gone to Samuel the prophet and said, We 
want a king. And so Samuel goes and he finds Saul and he presents Saul to the people. And as they are presenting their king, the Israelites raise their voices. They shout. And so what we I think what we're talking about here when we're talking about shouting to the Lord, the psalmist, he wants us to understand that this is a form of worship. Shout joy for joy. But it's also a word of enthronement. We are shouting, declaring that the Lord is king. That the Lord is king not only in our lives, but throughout the entire earth. Shouts for joy. This is uh, uh, just one of those commandments that we're going to be seeing throughout this thing, okay? And so when we're talking about shouting for joy, we're talking about declaring everywhere that the Lord is king over everything. This past Tuesday, we had an election, and we uh, chose a new president, right? All right, and, and, and this president is going to be ruler over our country, if you will, at least sort of. It's not technically how that works, but that's okay. That's what most people think. All right. And so he's this ruler over this country. And I think that there's we've seen a lot of anxiety from people that didn't necessarily choose him. All right. Which was definitely over 50 percent. OK. All right. He had about 47 ish. All right. Clearly had 47. There's a couple other people that had four or five, four or five percent combined. All right. So over 50 people percent of people in this country that voted did not vote for him. And so we can kind of see why they're angry. All right. And no matter if your guys won or lost, whoever you voted for, uh, it doesn't really matter because when it comes down to it in our lives, the true king is not the person that has the position of president of the United States. Uh, The true ruler that we should be looking for hope is not found seated in the Oval Office. The true ruler of our lives, the one that we desire to have reigning over us, uh, the one that we can find hope for a future It is God, and that is the person that we should be relying upon. I think that's what is trying to be communicated in this shout for the joy for the Lord. All right, we get to, uh, like I said, there's going to be a couple of commands here. Uh, Basically, this entire psalm is a psalm of command until you get to verse 5, okay? And so uh, verse 2, we get this other command. The first command was shout for joy. The second command is worship the Lord with gladness. Uh, This term, worship, the Old Testament had actually a number of different words that we translate worship, uh, and they kind of describe the different acts uh, that are a part of this, associated with this. The term here is serve. All right, so when you are called to serve the Lord, you do it as a form of worship. When you serve God, wherever you're serving Him, you are really worshiping God through the way you're living. And this service, it's not a bondage to the Lord. It's not like you're, 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 you're dedicated only to Him. That's all you're going to do. And it feels like you're being weighed upon all right, as you're serving. That's not what it's supposed to be. All right? You're to serve the Lord with gladness. At Kentucky Road, we believe that if you are to be a committed disciple... It means that you must be serving. We see this throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that we are to serve God. And so if you're not serving, that's an issue. We want you to be serving somewhere. 
the Israelites, the problems that they had was that they were constantly worshiping not God, but other things with their service. Right? Other gods, false gods. And in reality, in our lives, we are serving something. Right? We are either serving greed, or we're serving selfish ambitions, or we're serving evil desires, or we're serving God. And so if you're not serving God, you're serving something. What is it? See, service is worship. And I think that, that we need to be serving. And if you're not serving, you're not truly showing the Lord how important he is in your life. We're told here to worship, to serve the Lord in gladness. And the reason why we're to do it in gladness, and the reason why gladness is used throughout the Old Testament, is primarily based on the salvation that comes from the Lord. <coughs> The Israelites, they had had salvation over and over in their history. All right, we see it from the time of Moses when he brings the Israelites out of Egypt from slavery into freedom. We see it as he brings them into the promised land. Every time they were in need of God, God was there to bring salvation. And because of that, they were told to be glad over and over again. Gladness was supposed to be a part of of their lives. And we as Christians have this amazing gift. Whereas the Israelites were freed in bondage physically, we were enslaved spiritually. Right? We, we were enslaved and we have been set free. And because of this amazing gift, we should, as a part of our worship to God, serve Him in gladness. It should be a reflection of the joy that we feel at being saved. All right? And so if we're not serving, we're not expressing that joy the way God deserves it. And so I would encourage you to find some place to serve. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities. And if you need help finding some place, I mean, I'm more than glad to help you. I mean, the elders are more than glad to help you. Right? You need to be serving. Uh, the second part of this uh, verse says this, come before him with joyful songs. And this feeling of joy, uh, it's usually the word jubilation, right? celebration. Uh, it's a word uh, that is used of singing songs during the sacrifice part of uh, the temple worship. And just like in the New Testament, the Old Testament expresses the primary mood that should be expressed when coming to worship God is joy. And sometimes that's hard, right? To come on Sunday mornings and always be joyful. Because life happens. Right, maybe, maybe it's hard for us to come on Sunday mornings be, and be joyful when we're thinking about what's happened the past week, when we're thinking about you know, what our kids have done and, and how they're bringing stress to your lives, when we're thinking about our coworkers and how they've acted towards us, or maybe our health. And it's hard to be joyful sometimes because we're looking toward this future and we're wondering how are those bills going to get paid and we're wondering how are we going to survive. 
And sometimes it's hard to come in with this joyful attitude. But I think that if we could just pause for a moment and consider everything that God has done for us, if we can pause for a moment and, and take away all these worries that are in the back of our minds and just concentrate on the Lord and what He has done, there should be joy. There should be joy when we think about our baptism. We shouldn't be depressed by it. There should be joy when we think about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We shouldn't be saddened by it. Right? There should be joy when we consider the majesties. And yes, there's life all around us. And yes, we may not come into these doors in a joyful attitude because of everything that's happening to us. But when we pause, there should be joy. And I think that's why here he says, come before him with these praises of joy. So uh, that's what he said here. Verse 3, he changes a little bit different. He says, know that the Lord is God. Uh, this is uh, the message that we've just been talking about in the life of Elijah. Right? The message that he had to the Israelites is know that the Lord is God. He is the one that you are to worship. And remember that when we talk about Lord here, it's in all caps, it's talking about Yahweh. Yahweh is God. And he is the primary one you should worship. This uh, word for know, uh, it, it's, it's really knowledge and it's used uh, in two different ways throughout uh, the Old Testament. You gain knowledge in two different aspects. One way you gain knowledge is through experience. All right? And we all, we all know this, right? We, we went to school, all right? we were in science class. At some point in time, we, took, we did experiments, right? All right? And the reason why uh, they're called experiments is because they want you to experience the truth that they've been trying to teach you. Another great way, I think, that we shows how we learn through experience is through driving. Right? When you take a high schooler and you put them behind the wheel of a car, <coughs> yes, you want them to, uh, to have some knowledge of how everything works, right? but just studying from a book is not the same thing as experiencing it, is it? Right? I remember sitting through class, driver's ed, and then I got behind the wheel, and I had no idea where I was even going. Right, it took me a while to, to kind of orient my mind. And so it's one of those things. We, we learn, we know, we gain knowledge by, by experiencing it. But the second way that, that the Old Testament in particular talks about how we gain knowledge is through contemplation. When we sit back and we consider what's going on. And the Old Testament in particular, it talks, that tells, tells, tells us that the, that's really the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. The foolish person acts upon impulse, whereas the wise man takes a step back and tries to figure out what's actually going on and how it's going to impact. And that is a knowledge that is gained uh, through contemplation. And I, when I think that the psalmist here talks about knowing the Lord as God, I think he's talking about both of these things. And I think we can uh, know that the Lord is God through our experiences, right? through the things that we go through in life, where God comes in and he intercedes for us, and he does marvelous things, the salvation he brings, the lives he transforms through Christ. Right? Those are all ways we can know experientially about who God is. But I think we can also learn a lot when we stop 
and we consider the wonders his hands have made. When we sit there and we look at the stars and the vastness that comes with them. When we look at things like the Grand Canyon and the amazing aesthetics that are a part of that. I think we can learn and know that the Lord is God. Not just through what we experience, but when we stop and we contemplate. He says, know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us and we are His. And he's going to kind of uh, clarify what he's talking about when he says, know that the Lord is God. And the first thing that he wants us to go to is God's creative act. And we should automatically almost go back to Genesis chapter 1 uh, and, and, and chapter 2, where we see this creation of God. And in Genesis 1, uh, there's actually two different words that are used interchangeably to talk about creation. Uh, the first one is the word bara. All right, and it's this word uh, that when it's used, is usually used when we're talking about something that is unique in creation. All right, something that had never been done before. So in Genesis 1.1, when it says, in the beginning, God created, that word is barah. He created in a way that has never been seen before. All right, it's unique. It's different. It's something only God can do. But then when we get to the nitty-gritties of how he forms everything, <coughs> we see that the word there is asah. And it kind of has this idea, this understanding built in it throughout the Old Testament that our God, while he is transcendent, far above anything that we know, he is at the same time imminently close to his creation. He desires to be with us and to interact with us. And so when we are talking about in Psalm 100, the word that is used there is Asah. He has made us. He has intimately been a part of creating us, informing us into who we are, and we are His. Our God, while He's, while he's big, while we can recognize through contemplation and know who He is, He wants to intimately know each and every one of us as well. Something I think that this word knowledge also is referring to, this intimate knowing of who we are. Then he says this in the very last part of verse 3. He says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And in the psalmist here uses a, a common uh, understanding of who God is. God as shepherd. And this is probably the most intimate relationship of who God is to his people, his covenant people, anywhere in the Bible. I think the psalmist is trying to get across this idea that sometimes we may feel like we are alone. Sometimes we may feel like we're all by ourselves. No matter how true that statement is or isn't, we still have a God who is with us and close to us and wants to be our shepherd. The shepherd, he leads his sheep to the greenest pasture so that they can eat, and he leads them to the calmest brook so that they could drink. It is a shepherd that looks after and provides for the physical needs of his people. And our God, like the good shepherd, wants to provide for our physical needs, and he does. 
The shepherd is the one that protects his sheep, who, per, who brings his sling and his cane and is at the ready for when wolves and predators come to strike them down, to keep his sheep safe. He is the shepherd that sleeps at the gate of the pen so that robbers cannot come in without first tripping over him. And our God, he wants to protect us. Our, the shepherd is the one uh, that disciplines his sheep. When the sheep keeps going away, he literally takes the lamb and breaks its legs so that it has to be near him, has to be carried, and learns that the shepherd is the best place to be, and our God disciplines us. While it may hurt, it is good for us. This is the image that is being uh, shown here, that our God wants to provide and protect and even discipline us when necessary. The psalmist continues in verse 4, he shifts gears, he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The gates in the ancient world were the primary place where everything happened. Right, if, if there was a judgment to be taken place, you would go to the gates and argue before the judges. If you needed to, to sell a piece of property, you would go to the gates and, and, and do it in front of the elders and the transaction uh, and the, the, the contract would be valid no matter what. Gates were so important that essentially they came to be referenced as the entire city. And so if you said, I'm going to take that gate, what you're saying is I'm going to take that entire city. And as we're to come into God's presence, to be with him, we're to come with thanksgiving. Uh, this word is, is actually one of the many words for the sacrifices that took place. Uh, the sacrificial system that the Israelites had uh, was done with many different sacrifices depending on the situation. And this particular sacrifice could be done with two things. You could do it and come before God and confess your sins. And when you did that, it was really called a peace offering because you had a God who listened to you confess your sins and brought peace between you and him because of the sacrifice. The other way, and probably the way that's being referenced here, is when you come before God and you do it confessing something about Him. You come with this sacrifice in your hands and you admit what God has done in your lives. Our God is a great God and He has done these things for me. And when you did it, it was a thing of thanksgiving. And it was a moment of joy as we see uh, this praise that's supposed to be uh, accompanied with it. When we understand God's acts in our lives, we should be joyful. It should bring about joy in our lives and thanksgiving for what he has done for us. He clarifies one last time, give thanks to him and praise his name. At the very end, we're just talking about the same thing. We're to come before God in thanksgiving for all that he has done for us. Not just on the fourth Thursday of November. The Thanksgiving that we should have, it should be all the time because our God has done things for us all the time. <coughs> and so we've looked at these first four verses and we see commands over and over again, shout for the Lord, worship Him, serve Him. Bring Thanksgiving. And we're left with this question, why should we do these things? And the answer to that is found in verse 5 when he says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, 
and His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. There's three reasons the psalmist says we should do these things, that we should shout for joy, that we should worship Him, that we should know that He is the Lord. And it's because He is good. And goodness here, uh, we could take it in many different ways, but probably the best way to take it is when we're talking about morality and we're looking at ourselves and comparing ourselves to God and we see that God is so much good compared to us. We are sinners. We have failed. And when we compare God to the entirety of the world, we see that God is so much more good than the world. And this election has brought about a lot of evil stuff, sickening stuff, on both sides. And the true hope of the world is not our politicians, but our good God. Our God is good. His love is enduring. And this word here for love is talking about a covenant relationship. It's the word that is used when we're talking about a man and a woman becoming husband and wife. And while their love, their covenant relationship sometimes breaks down, our God's love is enduring. And while we may sin and while we may fall short of the standards that he has set, he still loves us. Our God has an enduring love despite what we do. And our God is faithful for all generations. Again, looking at this covenant relationship with the Israelites, and we see that they constantly turned away from their Lord, this person that they said, we will serve with all we are. And even though they turned away, God was still their God. The Lord still kept that relationship. He could have easily swallowed them up, but that's not who He is. And for us as Christians who have accepted this new covenant found in Christ, found in baptism, found through the sacrifice Christ gave, and even when we fail to live up to those covenant standards, our God is still faithful to who we are to who his relationship with us is. Our God is good. Our God has a love that endures. And our God is faithful. And because of this, because of who he is, we should be joyful. Knowing that we may fail a thousand times, and yet God still is true. So let's read this psalm one more time. Shout for joy, for the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enters his gates with thanksgiving, and its courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful 
for who you are. Lord, there are many times that we are not even worthy of the salvation you have provided. And yet, Lord, even when that is true, you remain true always. Father, I pray as we uh, think about this Thanksgiving time, that we think about uh, the things that we are thankful for in this life, I pray that we will not forget our thankfulness for you. It is the one thing that should affect all of who we are, every aspect of who we are. Lord, I am thankful for your mercies, for your grace in my life. And because of that, I worship you. I pray in your name.